0: Check 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 check. Okay, perfect. All right, we're going to make this a one-take
1: wonder. One-take wonder. Zero edits. Zero edits this Zero week. Zero edits. Wait, That's is this the goal. Is this the real John or is this robot John? Cuz I think robot John could probably do this in one take. Yes. Robot John could do this in one take. <laughs> it's so weird because the problem now is people are going to be like, "Wait, is that really him or is it the robot?" Hi, and welcome to GeekWire. I'm GeekWire co-founder Todd Bishop. And I'm GeekWire co-founder John Cook. John, we got a lot to talk about today and this week. I'm in California and I can share with you some of the details from Google I.O., which I got to attend for the first time this week. And I was also at Expedia and lots of interesting news to cover. But I feel like we need to start with where we ended last week, which was this experiment we did where we had these voice clones of you and me read this ai generated script the reaction that we got to that was fascinating and one of the people who reacted was your brother who well both brothers both brothers i haven't
0: shared i haven't shared uh (laughs) the other brothers comments okay so
1: Dave, dave and dan both reacted and these are two people who know you better than anybody better than me frankly what did they think of the voice clone of john cook
0: well, I think they thought it was pretty close. Um, my brother Dave texted and said, "Listen to your AI podcast. Crazy, amazing, scary, exciting, all rolled into one."
1: Wow. That is like the embodiment of the era that we're in right now. What did he say? Crazy, amazing, exciting and scary all rolled into one? Yes. Yes, that was it. So, completely Yeah. And And it is all those things, right? It is. It's totally all those things. And, you know, I got a lot of feedback from listeners and readers. Some people just did not understand initially. I didn't set it up well enough to make it clear that it was robots (laughs) that were reading. But the thing that is fascinating to a lot of people is the fact that it's not just our voice clones. And again, yours was much better as a clone than mine was, but it's also the fact that it was an AI generated script. I know a lot of journalists have been doing the voice clones and testing it, but the fact that we took it one step further, I think was very interesting to a lot of people. So if you haven't heard that episode, I'd very much recommend going back and doing it. I think that there's some potential there to do something interesting in a transparent way, long-term in terms of using AI end to end. And I just keep thinking like, What happens to human creativity in all this? Where can we add value? I don't know the answers to any of this, but I think we've gotta be trying things like this. I think that's the key right now. And frankly, that's a lot of what I saw at Google I.O. This is Google's developer conference. It's down in Mountain View, California every year, and they're back in person now at Shoreline Amphitheater, which John, it's funny, I was thinking, my brother took me to some Grateful Dead concerts at Shoreline Amphitheater back oh. in the day.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so it took you back to your roots, huh?
1: <laughs> I was chatting with Ina Freed from Axios right before it started. And I said, yeah, I think this is sort of the first time I've been completely sober inside Shoreline. <laughs> and she said, Ina's point was you really don't need anything mind altering for a concert. You can have fun at a concert where you would probably need the substances like that would be for a Google event. It would be much more interesting to be at a, a Google event, <laughs> to be in that state well, of mind. <laughs> not to sidetrack,
0: but who was the DJ musician they had on stage with the duck out there? I mean, it oh did get God. a little uh surreal, right? Like you were on some sort of LSD trip.
1: He was amazing. That was Dan Deacon. He was a composer and a musician. I loved him. I want to see one of his concerts. He came out and was sort of the pre-show entertainment. And I got to say, I've been to AWS reinvent and Microsoft build and all these conferences tend to have like the musical entertainment to warm you up. This was by far the best. He led the group through a guided meditation. He had his AI generated songs that he had worked on the Google team with in advance. And it was just, you kind of had to see it. I'll link to the video from the show notes, but I just, I loved his approach Dan Deacon was his name, and I thought he was fantastic, and I think he deserves his own show.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, that was a yeah. side yes. note. What was what was the main news coming out of Google I.O.? What did you learn? What did you see that was interesting?
1: So it was AI, AI, AI. It was fascinating. A lot of the preview posts that different sites did focused a lot on Pixel, Pixel phone and hardware, which is kind of, at this point, the old paradigm Google came out, and yes, they eventually got to the phones and their Pixel Fold and their new Pixel tablet that docks with a uh, smart dock that is basically going to rival the Echo show. But for 80 solid minutes at the beginning, Google CEO Sundar Pashai and all of the other executives focused 100% on artificial intelligence. They showed a variety of new generative AI features for Google search. They showed some new features in Bard, which is the chat GPT alternative. But to me, the most fascinating project that I saw was something called Project Tailwind. It wasn't even one of the main announcements that they were planning there, John. But to me, it embodied, it illustrated everything that AI could be in just a small little project And I'm going to make that a teaser because we're going to take our first break right here. We're going to talk about that when we come back. You're listening to GeekWire, and we will be right back. Technology moves fast. I need to move faster. WGU's competency-based education puts me in control of how fast I move through my IT degree program. I can accelerate my program by applying what I already know to my courses and focusing on the things I need to learn. Earn a respected, accredited degree that propels your career in the IT field. Learn more at wgu.edu backslash included. Welcome back, it's Todd Bishop with John Cook. I'm sharing some of the details this week from a couple of the conferences that I've been at and one of them was Google I.O. in California. I was just talking about Project Tailwind. John, this is just a side project essentially that five Google engineers put together it sounds like in their spare time.
0: Well, Google still has the program, right, that allows engineers to go off and spend a percentage of their time working on crazy, outlandish, offbeat ideas. Is, is I that where assume this they do. On? Are they still doing that?
1: Yeah. I don't know. It's an interesting it's question. Part of their culture. It is definitely baked into their culture. I don't know if this resulted from that. I don't know if they still have it. But what Project Tailwind does is it takes your own notes – your own reference materials, articles that you might want this data set to include. In my vision for how I would use it, I would include interview transcripts, just as another example. It allows you to query that artificial intelligence model that's essentially been created on the fly. So they pitched this as something for students, for example, where you could put in your notes and your reading materials and the assignments from the professor And then from there, you could say, hey, create a summary, create a glossary, make this something that I can use as a study aid. But for me, from a journalist's perspective, this is the holy grail. I could take my notes, the five background stories that I want the large language model to take into account. I could take the latest interview that I did. I could write a one-paragraph lead and a headline, and I could say, Please summarize the rest of these materials with context from all of the information that I've just given you, and only the information that I've just given you. And that to me is the key. I've actually talked to people at Microsoft in the past about how I could create something like this using some of the open AI frameworks that they had access to last year. I was thinking along these lines from a journalism perspective. And this to me is the fascinating part about this era of AI. This might not light you up in the way it lights me up. It might not make folks in our audience go, oh, yes, that's the killer app of AI. But we're seeing this level of experimentation and trial that I think is going to lead to some fascinating breakthroughs, some real meaningful breakthroughs in the future in terms of our own personal productivity and the ways that AI can assist us. So could you use Project Tailwind right now and use it to help create a story? Yes, if I could get access to it. That is one challenge. (laughs) Right now there's a wait list to get access. I tried to connect with the Project Tailwind people when I was down there. I asked to talk to the folks who were behind it, I didn't have any luck. <laughs> but I'm well. Hoping... Maybe this
0: is your plea to Google PR, right? Right here, to I guess. Get you, get you to the top of the line.
1: I guess it was five engineers. Like, wouldn't one of them? Listen to the GeekWire podcast. There's a big Google engineering center in Fremont just down the street from us in Seattle. I would hope that maybe somebody would listen and just, hey, get me up on that invite list. But I'm not asking for special treatment. I'll walk down the
0: street, Todd, and put a note on their door to get
1: you access. (laughs) Project Tailwind, Todd at GeekWire.com. Please get in (laughs) touch, yes. So that's the thing that, that got me excited the most, just in terms of my own personal use, To me, the idea of AI being that true assistant and doing some of that drudgery, now I want to be clear, in my ideal world, I would still read all of those materials. I'm not asking the AI to do the work. I'm not asking the AI to do all of the heavy lifting, but wouldn't it be great to just be able to sit back and read and absorb and say, okay, summarize this now and do it in a way that I can adapt the material easily for a story that I'm writing. Well, it seems like the next step on that is just writing the
0: story then, right? I mean, and that's the worry, Uh, like, gosh, if it can do it that, I mean, if it can synthesize the information and put that context around it, which is a big part of what your job is as a reporter and journalist, then it seems like, gosh, the writing of it is um, a, a second step that would naturally come out of that.
1: Wow, that's such a downer, John, (laughs) such a downer. I guess it's a matter of degrees and shades of gray. I hear what you're saying. I personally get so much fulfillment out of the process of learning and finishing a story that I would like help in the middle. I'd like help in that difficult middle part, the part between absorbing and the part between publishing. I'm not asking for a machine to do all of the work in between, but to the point of the name of the project, which I think is apt, I'd like a little bit of a tailwind and a little bit of help. I get what you're saying, and I agree that it could be a slippery slope, and especially in cases where people actually don't want to do any of the work, which I think is the case in a lot of situations. Yeah, well, another
0: product they talked about was right in line with what we're discussing here right now, which was called help me write. Oh, yes. So uh, talk about that, which is essentially it's a, it's a product for Gmail that will craft an entire message for you and make it in such a way that hopefully it's uh, more convincing to whomever you're writing to. So you can get your point across or make a sale or get your money back or whatever. I love So, this. I mean, it's, it, it really is crafting an entire
1: email for you. So this was so mind-expanding in a lot of different ways. This is a feature that's currently in testing for Google Workspace. So, John, this will be available to us as Gmail and Google Workspace users eventually, actually pretty soon. And the example that they showed, as you just mentioned, was a customer service reply with a canceled flight. Sundar Pichai showed this on stage where it initially drafted the request for a refund for the flight, and then knowing that a more expansive plea might have a better chance of success, underscoring, for example, how long you've been a customer, some of the details of the flight, which it pulls in automatically.
0: Your anger level. Yes, like, yes. I'm it, mad as hell. <laughs>
1: you know, so. But, but in a reasoned, rational way that's likely to get a response, you can just hit expand, And it does that for you. It's funny. I was just trying to get a refund before we jumped on, John. My mom got a real lemon of an iPhone. And I'm trying to get a refund from Verizon. So I'm on customer chat, sitting there almost thinking like a robot based on this example that I saw. And it worked. The person said, okay, here's how you can get a $700 refund. It's like, okay, even (laughs) though I'm outside of the 30-day window. You were probably communicating with a bot. They said it was real. (laughs) Okay, I'm just saying. That's
0: where this gets interesting. One bot against the other, right? And who who is going to win the
1: battle? Exactly. Because on the other hand, I'm sitting there thinking, my main problem as the recipient of emails, not people asking for refunds necessarily, but... (laughs) Just the recipient of emails in general is just being flooded with information. So if you think about this in the abstract, on the one hand, we're making it much easier for systems to just spam people with things that look like human text. And on the other hand, you've got people using email prioritization programs and different types of productivity tools to combat that. So your point is very true, John. Like you're going to have machine against machine.
0: Yeah, it's like uh, the cybersecurity
1: wars. Yes. In some ways. So that was really interesting. I got to say, I got into kind of feature request mode, which happens sometimes when I go in and talk to people who run products that we use very heavily in our daily work at GeekWire. So I spoke with one of the top executives on the Google Workspace team. And for part of it, just basically said, hey, here's what I want as a user, and they actually appreciate it to a point, you know, they do want to hear from a user. I got the sense I might've gone a little bit overboard on it, but one of the things, John, great example. When we have a new employee start at GeekWire, it's about, oh, half hour, 45 minute process, sometimes more setting that person up on email, setting them up in the different aliases that we want based on the job profile that we have, there is no reason that I shouldn't be able to go in and type a paragraph and say, we have a new employee named this. This person is reporting to this person. Please set this new employee up with the appropriate email address. Let them know, you know, just like have it in a few basic natural language commands be done. And it's interesting when you watch the person's reaction on the other side, the the Google Workspace VP, She kind of looked at me with a little bit of a gleam in her eye. You can tell that they're working on it. I mean, clearly they're working on it, even though she can't say, and it's a natural, logical thing to do. And it was frankly, just one of the many (laughs) feature requests that I have really in terms of big picture stuff. What I want is a personal assistant to read every single one of my messages all of the social media inbound direct messages. I don't want to have to go to LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, whatever. I want to be able to go to one interface and have it be like I'm walking into the office in the morning, right? Mr. Bishop, here are your messages. You know, yeah. the person who would hand me all those post-it notes and so, say, here's what you need to do the first 10 minutes of your day. Who was the person? Was it Trump? It was a former president
0: or somebody who used to have like emails, um, uh, you print know, it out. Print it, print it out for the <laughs> scarner. So, our... so that's what you that's what you that's what you want. Uh no, somebody who does the equivalent of that.
1: I want the, the AI virtual equivalent of that. And frankly, it would be more than ten minutes. It probably would probably be the first hour, but it would save so much time. And there are ingredients of that right now. And I wrote a little bit about that in my post about Google I.O. We're seeing ingredients of that right now, but nobody's really come up with that overarching AI killer app. And it's just so obvious that it needs to be done. And I I hope somebody ends up doing it. So that was Google I/O. I will link from the show notes to my coverage from there. Definitely recommend checking out what they announced there. And in just a couple weeks now, John, we've got Microsoft Build coming up. It is developer conference season. And something actually happened this week as I was planning for Microsoft Build that plays into a larger trend that I wanted to share in terms of the balance of power between tech, media, and everybody else. We're going to talk about that when we come back. You're listening to GeekWire.
0: This GeekWire podcast is sponsored in part by Yale University Press. Are you concerned about the rise of AI and how it will impact our society? Every day, artificial intelligence presents us with urgent ethical challenges. How do we harness this extraordinary technology to empower rather than oppress? Nigel Shadbolt and Roger Hampson have written a how-to for building ethical machine intelligence. Their new book, As If Human, Ethics and Artificial Intelligence, is now available wherever books are sold.
1: Welcome back, it's Todd Bishop with John Cook. You can tell I've been energized this week. I'm on a trip to California. I got to go to Google I.O. Earlier in the week, I was at Expedia Explore. I got to listen to Barry Diller and other Expedia executives talk about their plans for AI and other aspects of travel. And then looking ahead, John, in a couple weeks, Microsoft Build is coming up. This is Microsoft's big developer conference that they do every year. They are back in person on a limited basis at least, with some developers in Seattle attending this conference. It's a hybrid conference. It'll be online, but it's in our neck of the woods. It's in Seattle, right downtown, in the new convention center, the expanded Seattle Convention Center, which I haven't really been in yet. I'd love to experience. It's beautiful, yeah, Yeah. My thought was, I should go to this thing.
0: Yeah, why not? That's part of why we have GeekWire based in Seattle, so you can pop into these types of events, right? Yeah, you
1: know, what happens here matters everywhere. As the bots say, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I asked for a press pass and granted, that's a privileged thing, you know, which I presume they've provided
0: in years past. Absolutely. Not just to you, but to other members of the media.
1: Yeah, right. Recognized media, which we're getting into all sorts of gray areas here, but it's the, <laughs> it's the standard thing and was told, thank you for your request. We do not have a press program this year. I went, oh, okay. So I thought to myself, I understand the polite brush off. I'm going to ignore it and try again. So I said, got it. No problem. I don't need a program (laughs) for the press to attend. I would just like to attend in person. For me, there's real benefits. I'm thinking in the back of my mind, you get to bump into developers, overhear conversations, see people you wouldn't otherwise see if you were just attending online You get to go into sessions. There's all sorts of serendipitous stuff that happens when you actually go in person, just like working from the office. And I was told in response that there would be no press passes this year, that I was welcome to buy a conference pass and go if I wanted.
0: Or you can tune in virtually,
1: I presume. Yes. Now, I talked with some people at Microsoft about this. I understand their perspective. They're saying essentially that... There are certain people who cannot attend these events in the press because of issues related to underlying medical conditions, and COVID has brought a lot of these things out. Hey, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I can see the skepticism on your face, John. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> it, they're right. saying that the cost of making an equitable experience between those members of the press attending online and those attending in person would be too great for them. That is what they say. I'm going to take them at their word, but to me, it's an example of how companies, whether purposefully or not, are using this post-pandemic period to maintain a level of separation and sanitization that did not exist prior to the pandemic because of in-person real human interactions. And I had another experience like this on a press conference with Tableau earlier in the week. This was a Zoom press conference, and the way they did the questions was they allowed you to submit chat. So I asked the question of the new Tableau CEO something along the lines of, how do you respond to concerns that Tableau is losing its identity and autonomy and important aspects of its brand under Salesforce, which of course acquired Tableau a few years ago. So obviously that was the way I phrased the question. It had an assumption behind it. The question was read by a Tableau PR person to the CEO as effectively, how does Tableau make sure that it retains its autonomy and identity under Salesforce. Not really the same question, kind of the same question, but really not. And I made my feelings known to the Tableau people afterward about how that struck me. That to me is shades of 1984. And now maybe that's too dramatic, but if you're gonna have an independent press Shouldn't they be allowed to directly question the people that they're writing about? And at the very least, shouldn't their questions be relayed verbatim and rant? <laughs> what do you think?
0: <laughs> this is a good rant. I love I love when you go off on your tangents. I mean, of course I agree. <laughs> I mean, what are you <laughs> we'll you're asking? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's troubling. I think it's bad for society, bad for democracy. I think you're seeing it not just in the business world but certainly in the political world i mean look what the big news was this week in terms of uh the cnn town hall with donald trump and boy talk about controlling a message and stacking the deck with the audience that they placed in that town hall it's completely unfair and i guess cnn probably looks at it and says well we're getting an interview with the former president, that's probably newsworthy. You'd want to take that, but then there's a negotiation behind the scenes in terms of what the format's going to be like, who's going to be in the audience, and that was um, not the best moment for CNN.
1: I I caught only a bit of it, but I got to say, Caitlin Collins, the CNN reporter who did the moderation, I'm sure she's being criticized roundly by people on different sides of the political spectrum. But in terms of just journalistic, oh, what's the word, John? Rigor. Journalistic rigor and
0: professionalism and, and smarts. I thought she did a great job. Totally agreed. And, and and great job in a impossible situation, which is what a lot of people have been saying. It, it was just, I, I listened to a uh, Scott Galloway and Kara Swisher on their Pivot podcast, and they were doing a breakdown and an analysis of it. And hearing Kara talk about the interview style, she was a little more critical, um, but it was just not a good situation to throw a reporter into. But yeah, I think this gets to the point you're making, that there's a lot of control, a lot of sanitation. There's no more freewheeling and it's not just trump i mean biden has done fewer press conferences than the last you know 20 presidents you know or a number of presidents prior to him and i think we should be hearing more from him with more direct questions yeah. from an independent press i'm glad you but brought the that press up. has been the press has been beaten down and battered for for years now and it has such a negative perception and And some of it's brought upon by the industry themselves, where you have very splintered and political press. I mean, it is hard for people that are more centrist to exist in this world, so it's a challenge, but it's not gonna matter whether are all AI generated you know images on t v and news stories written so Then it's all going to come from one bot. Maybe that'll take us back to the Walter Cronkite days because all the information people will be getting will just be funneled through two or three bots. uh, And it will be like ABC News, NBC News, and CBS News. It'll be the Google bot, the Microsoft bot, the Amazon or Apple bot, and that's how you'll get your information.
1: Just circling back to Google I.O., I think it's important to recognize that tech companies as well have played a role in this through undermining on a large scale a lot of the business models that many media companies have relied on that came up a little bit at Google IO this week in interacting with some of the other reporters. I was fascinated by how much they were focused on policy and societal issues in the middle of this tech conference, five, six, seven years ago, it would not have been that way, at least in my experience. And the end result was, I think, In some ways, maybe you could criticize me for this, but in some ways, some of the awe and the wonder about what we're seeing right now with generative AI has gone away from the perspective of these reporters. And I think you can go too far in one direction or the other. You can go too far in terms of the potential downsides of AI and all of the advances that we're seeing. And you can go too far on the side of being amazed by it and not thinking about all of the potential pitfalls. It would be nice to be somewhere in between. I kept going back and forth, but I gotta say, just looking at the kind of stuff that's shown on stage, I have a hard time, my default, maybe this is why I'm just a natural geek. I sit there and go, holy cow what can I do with this stuff? This is amazing. That is my first reaction. And then I go, oh yeah, what about the downside? And maybe that's my ultimate failing as a tech reporter in some ways is that I'm not thinking first about the negatives. I'm thinking first about the potential. I don't think that's a negative. I think going in with some sort of
0: interest and curiosity about how it's going to work will lead to better
1: journalism at the end of the day. So... It's got to be tempered, though. It's got to be tempered. And I always have to remind myself of that.
0: Yeah. Well, I think we also have reporters on staff that are looking at those societal issues. It is interesting as you think about the public policy components of this. And I wonder, and I'm curious how you think about just the impact that social media has had on society over the last 10 years, 15 years, and whether... We've woken up to the fact of how generative AI is going to impact society. And like, do you think there will be regulations? Do you think we're going to get ahead of this? Because, I mean, the move fast and break things model of Facebook certainly moved fast and broke some things. And now we're all suffering from a lot of the consequences of that. I think the same potential is there with generative generative AI. Maybe it's already here. Uh, to Break some stuff, like probably even more so than social media. And so the question is, are the public policy components going to be in place to put the right guardrails around this? And my gut says, heck no, it's not, because we can't even get basic stuff done in this country. You know, I mean, it's like, let alone talking about. AI. I was hopeful in that CNN debate, actually. I wish they did talk about generative AI. That would have been a complete curveball question. I would have loved to have had Trump try to answer that. That would have been interesting, at least. Like, why not throw a curveball in like that? Uh, It's going to have a massive – it already is having a massive impact. And so I think it's completely fair game. I would have liked to have seen that
1: question. Well – I don't think you would have gotten a substantive discussion oh, well, no. in the general public. <laughs> <don't get> <laughs> in the general public. And that gets to the broader point we're making right now, which is that then is the role of journalists, especially at mainstream media publications. It's to put these issues in context so they are easily inserted into the conversations like the ones you're referencing now. Right, And why questions shouldn't be sanitized or press
0: should not be barred from going to events to see. I totally agree.
1: And to your point, Facebook did move fast and I think Facebook broke us. And yeah, that is what we're seeing with social media. John, I'm still heavily using that unplug app that I've referenced. It stops me two or three times a night from going down a YouTube wormhole. And it is hard for me to acknowledge even to myself that I have that issue with the addiction to that platform. It's YouTube, YouTube shorts. I can sit there for hours and waste my life. And I just got to say, point taken, John, I was excited about Facebook back in the day, much like I'm excited by generative AI now. And, uh, I feel like I've just gone through some tech therapy with you. So thank you very much. Okay.
0: okay. Well, be excited and explore it, but cast a critical
1: eye and think about the consequences. All right. That's what we should be doing in the reporting. I'm going to go into chat GPT and find out what Bing and Bard think about this and put it into your voice. And uh, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I did not get a chance to talk as much as I had hoped about my visit to Expedia this past week, their extraordinary new campus on the Seattle waterfront. Not really that new, frankly, but new post-pandemic. And some interesting comments by Barry Diller, the Expedia chairman, the media mogul, about the value of in-person work and the potential and the risks of generative AI. So I will link to all of that from the show notes. And really, you got to see the pictures of the place. It's just a Amazing campus and uh, reason to go to work, I'm sure, for some of those Expedia employees. All right, John. Good seeing you. Enjoy California. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everybody. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the GeekWire podcast wherever you listen. We'll be back with a new episode next week. Until then, I'm Todd Bishop. And I'm John Cook. Thank you for listening to GeekWire.